Well, if you don't have the Bible, now's your chance to go and get a Bible. Do that quickly while I sort myself out here. Um, now, the grab also, while you're up and about, if you've got an outline, there are a few outlines from this morning left over, which is good. Because there is, in that bulletin, there's an outline, which a diagram which will blow your mind. It'll, it'll, it'll blow your mind. You've really got to go and get one because... It'll either help immensely or you'll be completely confused. So it depends on the sort of person you are. Um, anyway, let me get my... I need to get Titus up for me as well. Well, it is. It's one of these... Uh, where's my clicker? Here it is, the clicker. It's one of the smallest books in the Bible, the one that we're going to study. Uh, you'll find it just before Philemon and uh, just after 1 and 2 Timothy. So if you're looking for it, that's where it is, give or take. Uh, it's small, but it packs a punch. So it's Paul's letter to Titus, one of my faves, to be honest. We're going to spend the next, next four Sundays uh, getting stuck into this little book and seeing what God has to say through it. Paul writes to Titus, who was on the island of Crete. Now, everyone loves a map, don't they? So there's the island of Crete, quite beautiful. Uh, good for a holiday. If you're ever travelling in the Mediterranean, you ought to visit the island of Crete. Uh, Cyprus is nice too. Been for a holiday there. There you go. Just an, I, I don't want to tell you where I've been, but that's, I, haven't, I haven't been to Crete, but it's quite nice. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about tonight. Um, so that's where Paul writes to Titus, and he's on that island. Now that's one detail that's fairly straightforward when it comes to the setting of Titus. But some other details are more tricky to nail down. The events of this letter happen at the, after the end of Luke's account of Acts, of the early church. But putting the evidence together, we can see that Acts finishes with Paul under house arrest. So he's in jail, but not quite jail. So he's in a, in, in a, in a house, but he can't leave it. People can go and visit him, and he would preach them and teach them and that type of thing. But uh, he couldn't leave. Now, sometime later, it seems that Paul was released and with his friend Titus at that time, uh, he visits and he plants churches in Crete. Not just one, there's a few, a few churches in Crete. In 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul actually speaks of Titus. He travelled with him for about 10 years, we think. Paul speaks of Titus as uh, very fondly, but you can see even here in verse 4, Look at verse 4. To Titus, my true son in our common faith. It's a very affectionate way to describe a friend. And so this Titus was a ministry, a missionary buddy, a partner with Paul. So they spent some time on Crete. And after spending some time on Crete, Paul then leaves the younger Titus to continue the work, to continue setting up these churches and teaching them and so forth. In fact, look at verse 5. One, one, chapter 1 verse 5 the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you so that was going to be Titus's job uh, so I guess you can just imagine Titus was a fair bit younger than Paul you can probably imagine Titus you know, on the wharf and there's Paul sailing off in the distance goodbye, look what you've left in me with I've got multiple churches and I've got to look after them all and I've got to set up all this, I've got to deal with false teachers I've got to do all this sort of stuff and there's Titus doing that. And to make it even harder, um, the people of Crete, now I think we can call them Cretans. I'm not quite sure if Cretans works. You know, maybe we can, I don't know. Um, anyway, Cretans, 
Uh, the Cretans, look at verse 12. What sort of people were on the island of Crete? Well, verse 12, they were liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, this testimony is true. These are some scary dudes and guys you don't want to plant churches with necessarily. Well, maybe you do. That's, a, that's not, a good, not a very good comment. But guys, it's going to be hard. And so you can imagine Titus waving away as Paul sails off to his next destination. Now, sometime after that goodbye on the wharf, Paul writes back to Titus, and we're not really quite sure from where. Uh, Paul was on his, probably on his last missionary journey or very close to it. Maybe he'd finished. We're not really sure. But Paul writes back to Titus, and Titus is still on Crete, and that's the letter we have in our hot little hands this evening. Okay, that's where we're at. So Titus is one of these pastoral epistles. Uh, it's a, it's a, a name that the commentators and theologians label, um, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. They're called that because these three letters that Paul writes are very, as he's almost dying, actually on his, on his deathbed almost, to, certainly 2 Timothy was, but they're all about pastoral issues. They're all about church issues, church leadership and so on. So does that mean that Titus is only for church leaders? A fair question. If it's all about church, if it's all for church leaders and setting up churches and doing that type of thing, is it, is it just for church leaders? Well, no. Uh, the end of the letter, again, while we've got our Bibles over, flick open uh, to uh, flick over to number uh, chapter three, verse fifteen. It's the last verse of the book. At the end of the letter, uh, it tells us that Paul uh, is addressing not just Titus, but in fact the whole church. Look at that last phrase: "Grace be with you all." So it's interesting that his words and instructions to Titus as he shepherds this flock are indeed words for all of God's people, and that's us as well. So this letter was read to the whole, all the churches on, on uh, Crete, and indeed today it's read to us as well. All right. Now, something else I want to tell you about as well, uh, before we'll, we'll, we'll pray and ask God to help us as we look at these, just these first four verses. You'll note on the bulletin, if you haven't got one, you should make sure you get one tonight as well, You'll note there that there is, there's always a little passage at the bottom. It's a key verse maybe for the sermon that day. But this week I've got memory verse. So, see the youth ministry does memory verses all the time. We do that in ribs. Why can't the adults do it as well? Why not? So we're going to do a memory verse. So I suggest you stick this on your fridge, put it in the back of the dunny door, wherever you spend most of your time. Um, and um, put it somewhere where you're going to remember it. Probably not on the steering wheel, that might not may not be so good um, but that's our little memory verse okay so there it is I'm going to come we've got four weeks to learn it shouldn't be too hard give it a go give it a bash how about I pray I'm going to read Titus 1 to 4 again uh, 1 1 to 4 and then we'll uh, uh, get stuck in let me pray Father we thank you for this book uh, we thank you for tonight we get a bit of an introduction to it uh, we thank you Lord that you are a God who speaks you're a God who come to speak to us Help us to hear you tonight. Uh, clear our minds of the other things that are going on, whether good or bad, whatever they may be. And we pray now for the next sort of 15 or so minutes, even less than that. We pray that you would help us to listen, uh, challenge us, and help us to focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Paul, verse 1, verse 1. Let's have a look at it again. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, 
promised before the beginning of time, and that is appointed a season. He brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour, to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. Paul didn't want following Jesus to be a passing fad for these young Christians on Crete. Probably the church was planted just a little, a couple of years ago, not even less than that. He didn't want it to be a passing fad. He wanted them to keep going. Now, when I say passing fad, what do I, what do I mean? Um, some of the oldies will know what I mean, but for the young people, a passing fad is something that you get into and then not long after that, you're out of it. Okay? Let me give you an example. Now, I'm going to pick on my children for a minute, particularly poor old Wes. Um, I think you got into this, Wes. Correct me if I'm wrong. Do you remember the Diablo? Eve does. Do you remember that thing? Yeah, they were good fun. So these, does anyone else remember what a Diablo was? No, okay, Sam does, but you don't. That's weird. Um, (laughs) A Diablo is two little, aren't you remember? Yes, two little sticks, all right, a string at the top of them, and and uh, and it's this. What was it in the middle? This spinning device thing. And the Wilsons with me? No. It was, like an, hour, it was like an hourglass shape. An hourglass shape, wasn't it? And so you'd yeah, walk around. This is what this was. This is our kids at this time went to Nara Anglican College. Um, I was the chaplain there, and the school was taken over by these kids walking around going. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it sounded like that as well. They really did. And then. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> that's what they did. Um, around, around and they all got very good at it. So they were tossing it around, and it was quite dangerous at points because you got them on the head and so on. I think they lasted probably, I don't know, three months at the most. In, out. That was it. That's a passing fad. Paul didn't want the church at, at Crete in their Christianity, in their trust in Jesus, to be a passing fad. I'll give you another example of passing fad. Um, One Direction. That's an example of a passing fad. Uh, boy bands like that, I'm doing that to offend Eve. Um, not quite true. I, I got another little... See, I did use Spice Girls as an example. So here they're touring soon, but I've, I've scratched out Posh Spice. Um, well, she's not touring. She's not allowed. She's scratched out. Yeah. Well, that's, she's not allowed. She's out. She's gone. Anyway, she's lovely. Not really. Um, now, so, but then I thought, no, no, they're not a passing fad because they're touring again. It doesn't work at all. Because they are not. They are real. They're still going, powering on. They're sold out. Really? Oh, my goodness. You know, that, that, that is very interesting because I would not pay money to see them. Um, now, what's Paul's point then? And the point I think he writes in terms of a big idea today um, is that he wanted their Christianity, Christianity to be real and lasting, not like something they would pass... It'd just be some passing fad, something they'd get into at some time then, then turn their back on later. You know? And that's not an uncommon story, is it? I mean, maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know people like that. Their Christianity was, well, that was just what they got into at one point. You know, that was my church phase. No, I'm not into that stuff anymore. Yeah, I used to go to a youth group. Yeah, I used to do that. Uh, I know lots of people like that. Uh, I pray this evening that that won't be the story of anyone here tonight. And particularly I pray for our youth people like that because it's very common with our youth, our young people. You see them in their 20s, early 20s even. Oh, I used to do that. That's what Paul prays as well for the people on Crete. He says, I want it to be real 
and lasting. I've got a word for that in a minute. But I want it to, want it to last and I want it to be real. In fact, it's a truth, he says, that leads to godliness. The word is, you see, the word is effective. Effective is something that works. You know one of the reasons, this is not, a, this is not a, a advertisement for Apple or anything like that, um, and I haven't been paid any sort of under-the-table cash deals. I'm meeting someone in the car park with an Apple dealer. But I like Apple products because you just plug them in and they work. I like that. For a simple computer person like me, I know there are some people who are going, they want to nod with me and go, yes, Graham, about time someone said this. Um, <laughs> but they plug in and work. You see, they're effective. They work. They're not defective. Now, that's, that's, that's real Christianity. It's Christianity that lasts. It's the truth that leads to godliness. So, friends, what I'd like to suggest here is that, what, that that should also be our desire. Our Christianity, in other words, following the Lord Jesus Christ to be effective, that is real, therefore lasting, or as the Apostle Paul puts it, a knowledge that leads, a knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. It's Christianity that works. So would you describe your faith in Jesus like that? It's effective. That is, it's working, it's leading to action, godliness. Or is it just something you've always done? Uh, maybe it's how you've been raised. Or, well, th this is just where my friends are, you know? Let me ask you another very difficult question that you might find hard to answer, but you, you ought to. Right, this is the question. If, if you were not a follower of Jesus... Not a nice thought, but if you are not a follower of Jesus, would your life be any different? Would it be? Would you behave any differently? Now, I'm, not, I'm, I'm still not convinced after asking the church service this morning. I'm not convinced if it's a great question, but I think it is helpful. It was helpful for me. Would my life be any different if I wasn't following Jesus? And maybe that makes me think about what, my, what, what following Jesus is for me. Maybe that makes me challenges me on whether my Christianity, my trust in Jesus, is effective. It's working. It's the knowledge of the truth leading to godliness. Well, we're going to spend some time. I'm just going to go through these verses, really. So if you've got a Bible open, there's no real outline except for my fantastic diagram, which I think will help you. Um, don't, don't miss the red arrow. That will come into play very soon and you'll go, I like the arrow. Um, but I'm going to spend a few time with these verses and we're going to see what we mean when we say that Christianity being effective is. Uh, Paul begins, as he often does in his letters, by introducing himself and his role. Paul is a servant of God, he says, and is an apostle. You see those two phrases. The first phrase is no simple, humble comment. Uh, it's a weighty claim. It's a title, servant of God or slave of God would be a better translation actually. It was a term designated to the prophets and the, the big heavies of the Old Testament, the Moses, Elijahs, the, 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 the David, even the messianic suffering servant you read about in Isaiah. They were the servants of God and here is Paul speaking of himself as a servant of God. What's he doing? Paul is aligning himself with the prophets of the Old Testament. Now next, the next little phrase, you'll see there in verse 1, is he aligns himself with the apostles of the New Testament. As an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul likewise aligns himself with the 12 who had received a unique personal call, a commission. They were sent by Jesus himself, 
authorised by Jesus to be his inspired messenger. So this sending, commissioning, of course, in Paul's case, took, took place on the road to Damascus when the living Lord Jesus confronted him and God sent him to be God's, his instrument to the world, to the Gentiles particularly. Now, do you see Paul's point just in these two, these two phrases? He speaks with authority, authority given by the Lord Jesus himself. What do we do with that as we listen to it tonight? What did the church at Crete do with that? Well, they needed to listen. If Paul's right, if he really is the servant of God, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to listen. So Paul then, in his preaching and in his writing in our Bibles today, he's been entrusted with the gospel, God's word. Well, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of him being uh, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus? You can see it there in the, the second half of verse, verse 1, that four. In fact, it's a reason, isn't it? A reason for his apostleship. Uh, the new NIV has to further. So in other words, Paul, an apostle, uh, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, uh, to further the faith of God's elect. So what's the purpose? The purpose of his service and apostleship, his preaching of the word, uh, it's for the church. More specifically, one verse uh, sort of halfway through, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So Paul's ministry, first, is for God's elect. That's the church. That's God's people. You with me so far? Paul's purpose is, one, to serve their faith, to foster it, to nurture it, and bring them into the knowledge of the truth, the gospel. So as we read these words to us tonight, that's what's going on. This is God's word in front of us through the Apostle Paul. Yes, it was written a long time ago. That doesn't make any difference. And here it is in front of us. What's it for? It's for... To, to, to serve our faith, to foster it, to nurture it. When we open our Bibles, that's, what's hap that's what happens as God's Spirit works through it. And how this nurturing is to be done, we'll find out later on. Let's look at this second purpose in Paul's ministry, his service and apostleship. It is for the knowledge of the truth. That's the gospel, God's word, that leads to godliness. So as a servant of God and as an apostle, his purpose is not only uh, for the faith or to further the faith of God's elect, but with that, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Do you see those two things? Uh, two characteristics of the people of God. Two characteristics which, in fact, go hand in hand. There's faith and there's knowledge. You see that? I hope you're following me on just, just in verse 1. We haven't got to verse... Well, we've just got into verse 2. Two characteristics, faith and knowledge. I'm going to say here that they go together. They go hand in hand, this faith and this knowledge. You can't have faith without the knowledge. And you can, I guess you can have the knowledge, but you need the faith as well to, to, to be following Jesus. Faith's not blind, you see. We don't blindly follow Jesus. We don't do that. Uh, it's not a feeling. It's not based on an experience. Friends, if your faith is based on an experience or experiences or it's based on a feeling, I'm going to tell you now, it won't be effective and it probably won't last. Faith that's, that lasts, a Christianity that's effective is coupled with the knowledge of the truth. We read in our Bibles, it's the gospel. Now there's Paul's purpose for the church in Crete. A faith and knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, effective Christianity. And it's, our, and it's God's purpose for us here in Robertson, isn't it? 
faith and knowledge that lead to godliness. Or Paul goes on to say, and here's our memory verse, um, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. The grace of God, there's the knowledge of the truth, the salvation has appeared, that's Jesus, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, that's godliness. You see that? Faith and knowledge that leads to godliness. Okay, well, let's keep going through. We're, we're looking sort of at the verse 2, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope that is the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. The source of godliness is not our morals, our culture, the way we've been raised. No, no, the source of our godliness is, is the knowledge, the truth, the word of God. Okay, so let's, let's, let's keep moving through. Uh, let me tell you about a little, uh, little article I read recently about the street that I used to live on. The street was called Lewis Street in Old Bar. Old Bar is up the mid-north coast. It's got a special place in Michelle and I, our lives, because we're involved with lots of good things there. There was also double income and no kids. And for parents, you know what that means. They were good times. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. We love you. I, I really do. Um, so She's not smiling. Yeah, look at his face. Yeah, yeah, right. It wasn't funny at all, was it? Sorry. All right, I do. Um, this little article I read, uh, it, it, it's, it spoke about this street. Now, this is where we lived on, on, the, um, on this Lewis Street, which was parallel to the beach. Okay? And um, uh, we, our house, yes, it overlooked the water and the houses across the street. So it really, it was cheap rent. It was pretty cool. We had a, a criminal who lived over there as well, and he was a drug dealer, and he would make drug deals in the middle of the night and so on. But that, he was a nice guy. He helped me with the car a few times. Um, <laughs> anyway, so here was our house, and there was the houses opposite. They backed on to the beach. The thing about it, though, is that now I've got a little picture here of the beach at Olpa, uh, and this is a common story all up and down the coast. The beach was disappearing. The article was bad news for people because the beach was shrinking and the waves were pounding away, washing away the sand and, and these houses were built on. In fact, the future of these houses, you can see some of them very close to the water now, was uncertain. Their foundations were not sure. They were built on the sand dune. They were built on the sand. And so as the waves came, the waves came, and you know the story about that Jesus tells the parable, uh, it was washed away. See, what God tells us in verse 2, have a look at verse 2, and I love this little picture, don't you, about a sure foundation. What God tells us in verse 2 is that this faith and knowledge which leads to godliness, we're calling that effective Christianity, right, that works, it rests on a firm foundation, like that picture. But what's the firm foundation with our, with, with our relationship with God? We can see it there. It's the hope of eternal life. That's what it is. And it won't be washed away. It will stay strong like this great picture. I love the guy. I always wondered if he's, um, he's been, what's it, you know, photoshopped in. But I don't think so, apparently. He died. They reckon he died. He got washed out. That way was next week when they took that photo. Well, well, that's not a good story, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks yeah. for bringing down the mood, Dave. <laughs> um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. But the, but the lighthouse stayed. So the, story, the analogy yes. still works. Yes. Good. Yes. All right, we're fine. Okay. <laughs> we don't really care about the bloke. Um, but hey, look at verse 2. 
And look at, look, look at the firm foundation that our faith and knowledge rests on, the hope of eternal life. That is Jesus. Now, when we think of the word hope, we often think of, oh, I cross my fingers, I hope this will happen. I, I hope the Wallabies win a game in Europe in the next couple of weeks. I hope that'll happen. It's a, it's, it's a hope. We're not sure about it. It's not real and certain at all. Um, but that's not the way the Bible writers speak about hope. They use it differently. What Paul is talking about is a, a confident expectation. Uh, this hope is reliable and firm. In the case of verse 2, our faith and knowledge rest on the sure and certain hope a follower of Jesus has of God's promise of the gift of eternal life because Jesus is alive. So we go to, we go to Romans 6 verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, on the cross, Jesus dealt with our sin once and for all. We've sung about it. And he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave so that one day we'll be like him. We'll be alive. And that's a real and certain hope because Jesus is alive now. You see? That's what our, our faith and, our, and the knowledge that leads to godliness rests on. But Paul gives three reasons, and I'm going to speed up a bit now. Paul gives three reasons why Christians can have such a hope, a firm foundation, a confident expectation of eternal life. You can see in there, one, God does not lie. Uh, God doesn't make stuff up. We do. But God doesn't. Uh, the Cretans, or Cretans, um, they, they, they taught a false gospel. We'll get to this in the next few, few weeks. They lie. They're liars. They make up stuff about Jesus. But God doesn't lie. He's completely trustworthy. God always keeps his promises. Second, uh, God, promises this God promised this confident expectation of eternal life before the beginning of time. Now, we, we praise someone who buys their Christmas presents in November. But if you're a Christian person, God has organised your salvation before the beginning of time. And that's organised. Isn't that amazing? The point is God doesn't make it up as he goes along. Nor does God's offer of salvation depend on our response. No, it's planned. It's full of purpose. Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now you might be thinking, if you're following along, you might be thinking, oh, how do I know I'm chosen then? How do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know? If it's just for those God chooses us, it's just for uh, those who are the church, the elect, how do I know I'm part of that? Well, here's how you know. If you, Romans 10.9 If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in him uh, and I've got that wrong. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. That's how you know. And if you do that you know you're one of them. You know you're one of the elect. You know, and so what, do you, what does the Bible say? In Ephesians 1 it goes on to praise God and give great thanks to him. That's how you know. The Bible never questions and never asks us to question our salvation. It just says, put your trust in Jesus. When you do that, you know. Bit of a tangent, but important to mention. Okay, so where are we up to? The third reason for such confidence is this hope, uh, this hope we've talked about, is the word of God itself brought about in the preaching of God's servant, the Apostle Paul. Uh, God speaks and he speaks to us through his apostle and that ought to give us confidence. Look at verse 3. And at his appointed time, literally in his good time, appointed season, in his good time, verse 3, he brought this word, the gospel, to light. How did he do it? Through the preaching entrusted to me, that's Paul, by the command of God our Saviour. So God's word, or the knowledge of the truth from verse 1, has been brought to light through Paul's preaching. That we're listening, well, we're reading today. 
This too is part of God's plan and reason for confidence that God speaks to us. We have his word. He's not silent. We're not clambering around in the darkness. That gives us confidence in God's promise of eternal life in the gospel. And that preaching, hearing that preaching, that word of God, leads to godliness. That's what we've been saying tonight. Effective Christianity, not a passing fad. Well, friends, the challenge is, as we read this letter, and as we listen to the words of God, the words of this apostle, not only to, is not only to listen, but then to put them into practice. That's what we ought to do. If we really believe in Jesus, let me put him into practice in our lives. That's called effective Christianity. It's Christianity that lasts. We're going to flesh that out in the next few weeks. This idea of godliness. Godliness just simply means being like Jesus. That's all it means. And we can do that at whatever age we are, um, wherever we're at in our Christian lives. That was Paul's desire for the Church of Crete, and it's God's desire for us. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life leading to godliness. How about I pray and then um, we'll see if there's any questions or comments. I didn't know any more about Titus. He might have a question there about Titus the book. Um, uh, and we'll see how that goes. And then I think we'll pray and be close to finish. Let's, let's pray now. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you, God, that um, you do speak to us. We thank you for the confidence we can have in you. Uh, Lord, we do pray as we, we put our faith in you the knowledge we have, that lead, we pray that that would lead to godliness, that it will be effective Christianity, we're calling it. Uh, Christianity that works. Some challenges, Lord, tonight. Uh, but we pray, Lord, that you would help us and you would guide us. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, any...